Welcome to Muse and Hearth, a podcast for women cultivating their minds as well as their homes. I'm Lydia Fukushan, and I'm joined by my co-host, dear friend and sister-in-law, Valerie Abraham. In our episode today, we're going to be talking about reading lists, both past and present. We'll be introducing you to some of our favorites, and we'll be eager to hear books that you'd like to recommend to us. Yes, please. So Valerie, do you have current books that you are um, working through? Any favorites <laughs> right now? <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot I'm currently working through. Um, I, I have a problem with starting too many books at once, but I also like having different kinds of books going so that there's something for, you know, for every time of day, for every, um, I was about to say season, but hopefully I read more than one per season. But you know, just having something appropriate for all times and all situations. Um, so some of my current reads are, uh, well, there's long-term ones and short-term ones. So my big project for the year that might take more than this year is reading Spencer's Fairy Queen. Mm. I read, um, part of it in high school and I'm sure I'm not the only one who has thought this, but I thought that I basically read the Fairy Queen in high school because I read book one, which is the part that, um, I think most students study. It's the most um, in, famous in high school I think, literature yeah. classes, right? The story of Saint George and Lady Una and Duessa and everything. Uh, and then, sometime in the past couple of years, I started realizing, oh, there's a lot more to the Fairy Queen than than just that book. And I've been really wanting to read it because, um, I well, I've always admired Spencer as just a poet, reading some of his other poetry, but I don't know that much about him. And I've heard enough people talking about him as. Um, really just one of the the pinnacles of um, late Renaissance poetry that I I knew there was a lot there that I needed to dig into. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping to, I'm listening to an audiobook right now, actually, Um, although I've gotten distracted because I started recently listening or rereading, if it counts on audiobook, rereading slash listening to Emma as well. So currently working through that and then... um, working on a read aloud with Matthew of The Song of Roland, because I actually Mm. never read The Song of Roland before. Um, How do you feel um, those both lend themselves to audio versions or styles? Mm. Because I do feel like um, The Fairy Queen has a sort of um, almost like a ballad-esque quality Mm. to it, which I feel like could work. And The Song of Roland also, both of them are somewhat um, epic poetry styles Mm -hmm. does that work well to have them on audio would you recommend it um i think song of roland absolutely so that one we actually have a paper copy of we're just taking turns reading aloud to each other um so at least one of us has the text in front of us while we're reading the concern i have as i'm going through it with the fairy queen is that if i'm remembering correctly Spencer wrote in an intentionally very elevated and even archaic style because of what he wanted the Fairy Queen to do Mm -hmm. as a work of literature. And I think that makes it a little bit less accessible via audio. I think it would be easier to read that kind of story um, in in physical form. I just felt like the only way I was going to get through it in an entire, you know, the, the entire work in this year would be to kind of chip away at it while getting ready for bed, things like that. Uh, So I've been trying to chip away at little bits of it, but I do wonder if I might end up going back to the physical copy. So I think Mm -hmm. it depends on 
if it's a translated epic, then on the translation. And if it's an English epic, then just how accessible the English is, um, how familiar it sounds to your ears. Sure, that that makes sense. Um, I I think that's probably um, a great segue into talking about reading habits and how to get Mm -hmm. through sizable chunks of a book. And um, one way really is to just chip away like that um, Mm -hmm. piece by piece. I, um, I think that this one book that I started reading in 2019 that I'm still chipping away at, um, I have about 150 pages left, is Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. Mm, and yes. his style is very dense, I find. It's it mm. it's possible to get quite bogged down. But you can also just read a small segment at a time. Um, it might even be a good book to read a chapter and digest mm-hmm. it for a while and come back yeah. in a month and read another chapter, that kind of thing. So I think um, plotting and, and moving um, progressively through something in small pieces is a really effective way to get through your reading mm-hmm. list. Um, yeah. And you don't, especially, you don't have to, uh, as some of us, I, myself, <laughs> have the temptation to just not do it if you don't feel like you can do the whole thing. Um, yes. It's a temptation of mine. And um, actually, this would be a great time to mention um, the Bible reading challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, just because um, there's some ladies in our church who started a Bible reading challenge, which is now, I think the group might be. Is it up to seventeen or eighteen thousand women? Is it that many? I wouldn't be surprised. It it may it's be. It, it's grown quite a bit. There's women all over the world reading the Bible together, and the encouragement is to just jump in and read wherever, mm-hmm. whatever day it is. Um, don't try to get caught up on your backlog. But it's also the idea of steady amounts over time and mm-hmm. suddenly you've read the whole Bible. Not suddenly, mm-hmm. progressively, <laughs> but suddenly you realize and that you have reached the end and you've read the whole thing. There we go. Right. And if you do miss parts in between, it won't be the last time that, that you're reading the Bible, I hope. <laughs> so, you'll, you know, as long as you're cultivating the habit of Bible reading, then you'll be coming back over these passages right. um, again and again over the years. So that'll so be a little different. about each time. Sure. That'll be a little different than something like um, a novella or something that you're going to read and Mm -hmm. you plan to probably never pick it up again or, you know, I don't know, something that's more casual. But um, it's certainly a good habit to read in small amounts regularly so that you don't lose your track of where you are in in whatever you're reading. And um, it's easy, I think, to not give credit for small amounts of work mm-hmm. like just yes. not credit yourself as making progress when in reality that's how you get through a monumental task yes. so and I think that might be particularly difficult I know for myself um, because of the temptations of of modern culture when you have a small chunk of time it's so much easier to fill that time with something on your phone you know or social media or texting or whatever and and I'm trying to to learn, relearn the habit of using those small bits of time to do something like just read a page even, or even just a few paragraphs, just yeah. constantly. Yeah, um, I, I actually, um, at the beginning of the year, put a couple three by five cards on my bathroom mirror. And one of them was just read 10 pages a day of something. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. uh, setting Bible reading aside, that's a separate category. But um, right. for, for just any other 
piece of literature that I'm wanting to read. And mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying that I've done fabulously at it, but it, that reminder is always there that a little bit will make progress eventually. And I think, yeah. And the habit of making it daily too, even if it's literally just one paragraph, I think changes the dynamic of working through a large book because one of my struggles is I'll read a portion and then I'll leave it for a month or three months. And by the time I come back to it, I've forgotten enough of it or it's just hazy that I have to start back like over. And so that, yes. right, so that de-incentivizes returning to the book because you feel like you have so much backlog to do. Whereas mm. if you do... Even if it's just a paragraph, it keeps it fresh in your mind so that you don't have to feel like you have to start from scratch every time you pick the book back up. Because right, right, right now there are a number of books I feel like I have to pick up basically from scratch. I, I think you had a good point too that especially in this day and age we're um, barraged by things that are easy to um, just slip in the shallow end, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, like a quick article or a, no, nothing wrong right. with reading articles, but, you know, just a little right, a text or a, often. yeah, yeah, someone's story on Facebook where it's just a really low investment way of bringing mm-hmm. information in, in <laughs> absorbing yes. information. And so that long-term project with a deeper, um, just more depth is, mm-hmm. is, a really healthy exercise. Um, mm-hmm. I think especially in this modern era, it might not have been so desperately needed. And, although I think it's because they already did it in the past, but I think we yeah, do desperately need it today. Um, mm-hmm. I liked what you said about um, reading things on different topics for different mm-hmm. times. And I definitely, my current stack of in progress reads, I decided to just, um, mention four for now that I'm really aiming to finish before I engage with a bunch of new ones. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, actually five. I, I There you go. I actually had five. And they are very different books. Like mm. it kind of uh, makes me laugh because I'm, I'm reading um, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, which we've talked mm. about mm-hmm. in another podcast, which is... It's not a cookbook, but it's about cooking and mm-hmm. in and there are food recipes in the kitchen. In it too. Yeah. yeah, and there are recipes. So that's a very practical one, um, but it's been really enjoyable to read. Um, mm. And then for my absolute just fun uh, title, I've been reading Terry Pratchett's The We Free <laughs> Men. <laughs> and I don't know that so I, I need have- to say any more about that, except <laughs> he's a great writer. <laughs> for just I have to ask that our... I can't remember if I've ever asked you this before, but are you a Pratchett fan then? Um, Because I feel like people fall into two camps on this. Right, right. I don't know yet because, believe it or not, this is the first one that I've put effort into reading all the way through. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So maybe that makes me not a Pratchett fan. I don't know. I might be a Pratchett. I might be converting into a Pratchett fan. I've only ever read. Yes, yes. I've only ever read the first part of his uh, another one of his books, Guards, Guards. Um, But um, so far, I'm enjoying this one. It's mm-hmm. just sort of a fun read. Um, yeah. So I have that one on my list and obviously wildly different than salt, fat, acid, heat <laughs> as far as it's not very yes. pragmatic at all. Um, and then I have um, The Cozy Minimalist Home, 
mm-hmm. um, which I believe we've talked about The Nesting Place, which was another book by McQuillan Smith. And I'm really also enjoying the pragmatic um, but pleasant style that she has mm-hmm. um, talking about home home decorating and making a home that is inviting and that works for your family and mm-hmm. what your family needs. Um, so that's, you know, that's definitely swinging back towards salt, fat, acid, heat, but on a different topic. So that pragmatic mm-hmm. angle. Um, and then I did mention Jordan Peterson's book earlier, and that had been one that I set myself to read in 2019, and it's ended up taking me quite a bit longer um, <laughs> to get through. Uh, he has some really interesting insights into human nature, um, not from a Christian perspective, but just from mm-hmm. the perspective of psychology, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, but he's, it, yeah, he's very... He's a very interesting mind in the modern age because he is he is willing to tangle with the powers that be, specifically mm-hmm. feminism. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He does not pull punches when he talks about some of the harmful effects that feminism has on our society and how and and as a result I feel like he's a helpful author to read just because he's um willing to wrestle with um that issue um but he Hmm. isn't he isn't coming at it from a specifically biblical angle he's coming at it from uh the angle of someone who has observed human Hmm. nature for a long time and he's pretty spot on accurate on a lot of things. Hmm. Um, but again, you, you do have to take what he says with a grain of salt mm-hmm. um, just because obviously his presuppositions are not those that we would agree with um, right. through and through. So it anyway, can, but, oh yeah, it can be really interesting to read a book like that because it, I find it's very challenging mentally to read a book when you know that you disagree on so many fundamental presuppositions with the author and yet when you find them speaking truth um it just it kind of puts that truth in a new it makes you think about it in a different way hearing it come from from someone else like that yeah Um, and and there's a book yeah yeah he's often accurate and and yet Mm -hmm. i'm wrestling with why when I read mm-hmm. it. So it is, it's a harder, it's a book that I have to work harder with, as you said. Right. Um, it's but, not a but, comfort book. like. But it's helpful some, to wrestle like. with mm-hmm. why, why is this, why does this work? Why, right. you know, why would I disagree with something that sounds like it makes sense? Because I mm-hmm. really do throw all his presuppositions away on this X topic, whatever it is, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. Anyway, you were, you were going to Mention a book, oh, I, I was think. just thinking, right, there's a book, uh, one of the ones that I'm working through right now, another very slow one, very dense, um, but very interesting. It's different than Jordan Peterson because the author is a Christian, but I just find that he approaches things very differently and probably mm. with some presuppositions that are different. It's called The Theology of Food uh-huh. by Norman Wiersbaugh. I think it's a W-I-R-Z-B-A. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he has, he'll say things sometimes that kind of rub me the wrong way. And yet they really challenge me to start thinking through it instead of just reading someone saying something very similar, but in a way that kind of caters to how I already think. It sure. makes me have to rethink it, see how he's sometimes saying something really good, but missing a part of the answer or something. 
Um, and it's just been, it's been a little while since I've read a book like that. And it's, it's been a challenge, but a fun challenge. To yeah, it seems like a, it seems light. like a good exercise to yeah. Yeah. maybe not see eye to eye, but, um, but wrestle with it and sort of work still, through it. Right? Yeah. And try, right. try to cull some, some value out of it too, which right. is something right. that's going to affect your thinking in a positive way and yeah. thinking and or actions. Um, yeah, Jordan Peterson is is that sort of thing um, for me. Definitely, I even his um, he has some uh, evolutionary presuppositions, which it's interesting that he could make all the conclusions that he does that are quite accurate mm-hmm. with that the faulty presuppositions in place. Right. Um, and I find myself having to say, okay, wait, now I, I, I agree what hit, I re- agree with his conclusion basically because he's a good scientist. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. He's a good scientist yeah. of human nature. He's Data done a, too. yeah, he's done a really good job observing and he gets how it works, but he hasn't been able to take that and backtrack to the appropriate, um, presuppositions, which is fascinating mm-hmm. in and of itself. Um, right. I would, I would love if he, he became a Christian someday and just yes. I, the idea of all of his categories suddenly clicking into the right framework mm-hmm. is just, mm-hmm. I, I actually have really enjoyed that sort of thought experiment before mm-hmm. while reading the his scales stuff. fall from his eyes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, wow, the lights turn on. Um, and then my fifth book that's on the um, in-progress stack. So these are my mm-hmm. books that I think I'm halfway through all of them, all five of these. Mm-hmm. So I really have, I've, I've invested, you know, like I know I'm going right. to go, I'm going to go and finish all of them. Um, but it, some of them have taken longer than others. Um, and then the other one is Ghost Soldiers, which you and I both read mm-hmm. for an online class, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, class uh, for adults on World didn't War II. Oh, <laughs> I read the World War I oh, book. Oh, that's right. I never, that's right. I never got around to that we one. So you need to tell class. me about this yeah, so I yeah. can put it on my reading well, list. Well, it's just a really, um, it's it's talking about the Pacific theater of World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were prisoners of war in a Japanese internment camp. Um, or a Japanese prisoner of war camp, sorry, that um, needed rescuing um, towards the end of the war, basically, as things Mm -hmm. started to tumble for the Japanese. Mm -hmm. Um, And they did have a tendency culturally and just by practice of really devaluing prisoners in general. Like it it was such Mm -hmm. a dishonor to be a prisoner um, Mm -hmm. that... There, you would not find Japanese prisoners. I believe there there was one Japanese prisoner for every five American because they wow. would kill themselves rather than being wow. be taken prisoner. And as a result, they really looked down um, on hmm. American prisoners because they had basically debased themselves was the cultural yeah. mindset that they had. Right. So they like were they've already, done a shameful thing by letting themselves. Be right. Right. They were essentially mm-hmm. cowards was sort of the, that mindset. So anyway, the, the idea mm-hmm. was that these particular prisoners of war were in um, the Philippines were um, no wait. Yes. Yes. The Philippines <laughs> mm-hmm. were, um, were likely just all going to be killed. Um, mm-hmm. Because of that 
that cultural viewpoint because of precedent set by other um, prisoner of war camps run mm-hmm. by the Japanese. And there was an unprecedented raid on this prisoner of war camp um, wow. to rescue them, um, hmm. which was which was successful. I'm giving That's a spoiler amazing. there. But um, <laughs> Ghost Soldiers is really well written. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, there's... I found I had a little trouble getting started, but once you mm-hmm. get going, it's um, it's gripping and it moves along well um, and hmm. tells the story in a way that is very um, just very effective. It's not overly hmm. uh, I wouldn't say it's overly emotionally fraught, but mm-hmm. it's just a very effective telling of the story, um, introducing hmm. the some of the characters that were involved. Yeah. So. Um, that's on mm. my list also. So those are, as you can see, rather eclectic. <laughs> I've got my, my cooking, <laughs> my decorating, <laughs> my World War II, my, I don't know, you could call it psychology if you want to, I, <laughs> pop psychology, and uh, and my Terry Pratchett. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, uh, I need to add some more Pratchett back in then, because fiction <laughs> is my weak point right now. I have lots of nonfiction and or throw some Woodhouse at it. Bring some life. Yes. <laughs> you can always throw some Woodhouse Ooh, now at it. Now, there's a good question. Do you have any favorite Woodhouses? We should probably explain who Woodhouse is, too, in case, oh, probably, in case there's in anyone case. out there who hasn't read Woodhouse. Tragedy. Oh, now, what? Um, I'm trying to think what years for Woodhouse. He wrote? I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, he, I know he started writing pretty early 20th century and wrote all the way up until his, at least close to his death in the early 70s. Okay. I think he died okay. in 73. And was publishing at least in the 19 teens, if not before. Yeah. And he's just got an entertaining, hilarious mm-hmm. style. It's, and a it's, tremendous mastery of words. Yes. Which ends up creating really humorous segments that are just... <laughs> uh, I'm trying to remember which one. Um, I think it's one of his short story compilations. And I was reading it in an airport... And I, I, I was laughing out loud. I'm sure everyone sitting around me was trying to figure out what was going on because I'm like snorting and chuckling and laughing while reading this book. But um, I'm going to have to look up which one that was. But that's that's a great way to dive in. The short stories. Um, because yes. of their short stories. So, um, Mr. Mulliner is a good short story that's collection. That's the one. Yep. But, ah, it's, well, there you go. It's the Mulliner stories. Yes. Those are fantastic. Um, I'm curious if you, if you just, have favorites. Mm-hmm. The short story that comes to mind is not actually from Mr. Mulliner. I'm not sure which larger book it's a part of because um, it was given to me as a kind of a pamphlet, like this little independently published single short story, but it's called, wait, now I'm forgetting the name. Um, oh, what is it? It's it's a, one of the golf stories, which surprised me because I know nothing about golf and did not expect to enjoy a short story about oh, golf. Oh, but some of those are um, so funny. <laughs> yes. Oh, what is... I can't believe I'm forgetting the name. I'm scrolling Cuthbert. titles The right Clicking now. of Cuthbert. Oh, there it. we go. Yes. Um, the Clicking of Cuthbert is, I think, an excellent example of his uh, short story skill. Um, it's short enough. It's quite short. Short enough to just read aloud even. We actually got to share it recently at a short story night. Um it's yeah it brings in so many of those classic woodhouse moments <laughs> the reversal the metaphor um the the ironic the writing um so yes that would be a short story 
And if you love that one, Mm -hmm. grab Meet Mr. Mulliner, which is the the compilation Mm. I was reading. So if you if you like that one that Valerie recommended, (laughs) then go for the Meet Mr. Mulliner collection. And yes, oh, is that one also set in a golf club? Do I remember? I mean, set as in like the narrator. But I can't remember if it's a, a a pub. Pub, maybe it was a pub. I think it, yeah. it could have been a club. I can't remember. Um, so the stories are discrete stories, but there's this narrator who kind of introduces each one who's in the setting of, yeah, something like a pub. He's or a regaling club. a group right. with stories. So right. each story has a little link to the next one, kind of. Um, for long, uh, like novels, Jill the Reckless is a favorite. In fact, I, I thought think you, you were going to mention recommended Jill the Reckless, Jill the Reckless <laughs> yes. years ago. I just remembered. I think you told me to read it when we were about to leave on a trip or something, and I read it on the trip. Um, so, yes, that is a good one. It's one of his – it's still very humorous, but it also has just a fun story. Like yes. Some of them are so lighthearted that it's more for the sake of the comedy that you read it, whereas this one is also a sweet romance in addition to the comedy. Yes. Um, I, think, also, um, mm-hmm. I think Leave it to Smith would be one mm. of my and that and Smith is spelled with a, a silent p. Yes. Let it be noted. As so, in ptarmigan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was uh, the p is reference silent, to the book as in Venezuela. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is a line. <laughs> from wait, is that from well, that or is that from um I'm getting mixed up between um, that and Tintin with Thompson and Thompson, where they one of them spells oh, their name goodness, with a P and one of them doesn't. One of them doesn't. Um, yes. I don't know, but there, if it's not from Smith, there's very, very similar ones in there. He's constantly yes. explaining to people that there's a silent P in his name, which he apparently added because normal Smith just sounded too commonplace and he wanted yes. to make it more He wanted elegant. to be distinguished with yes. the silent P in his name. <laughs> so leave it to Smith. That's definitely that a, a good fun one. one. Um, mm-hmm. uh, let's see. What's, let's what see. else is on your current reads, Val, these days? Uh, current reads? Let me think. Um Mm, I don't think I mentioned Norms and Nobility. No. Um, so this is why haven't. I need this is why I need more fiction in my life because my current reads, some of them are very they tire <laughs> my brain out say, very quickly when I try to read them. Song of Roland and Norms and Nobility, then the theology <laughs> of food. That's a pretty dense list you've got going there. I have Good been stuff, reading some but... fiction. <laughs> I am rereading Emma, as I mentioned, and I've discovered recently the Western genre, which is not what I thought I would get into at all. But um, so Norms and Nobility, though, is deceptively small looking because it's very fine print and the words, every single word is weighted. Um, but it's it was written in the early 90s, I think, or late 80s, maybe. And it's one of the really foundational texts to the, um, the sort of renaissance of classical education and just mm. uh, reexamining a lot of our modern Um, assumptions about education and this actually is I was thinking about this as we were talking about the plodding through long books I think this one works uh, particularly well for that because not only is it very dense so it's best digested in small doses but um, it's easy because of the way the chapters are structured they're fairly short so it's easy if you can just get through one chapter to then come back to it a little bit later Mm -hmm. without feeling like you've lost too too much of the overall scheme of things um, so that one, I'm still, I, I think I'm only on like chapter four or five, but it is, 
excellent so far. So yeah, highly, highly recommend good, it. That's a good recommendation. I am actually spotting yeah. it on my shelf right now. Mm. It's sitting up there waiting for me. So I definitely need to dive in and add that one to my yes. rather extensive list of books that I've stacked up <laughs> that I would like to read in the future. Um, what um, I think you and I were talking a little bit about favorites that are not favorites, I should say, mm. yet but books that we anticipate will be favorites mm, that we're looking mm -hmm. forward to reading next. Do you have one at the top of your list or one or two? <sighs> Might not be fair to ask for just one. Oh, um, hmm. Well, how about different categories? Yeah, um, that sounds like a okay. fair, that sounds like a fair <laughs> approach. That's probably the angle I'm going to have to take too. So. All right. Good. <laughs> um, for fiction, probably, like I mentioned a minute ago, uh, reading a Western. I got Matthew um, some fun Western books for his, uh, or for Easter, for his Easter basket, with, of course, the ulterior motive of reading them myself. So there's one, I've heard the author's name before, but haven't read one by him yet, but apparently he's a classic uh -huh. author. Uh, his name is Zane Gray. I think he was uh, 19th yes. century even. You've heard of him before? Oh, yes. Yes, yes. You've read him? <laughs> I've not read him, but I have heard of him. I think it's a okay. pretty um, classic American. Yes. Oh, in fact, this might relate to one of the titles you're about to mention, but uh, a book I was I heard about him through a book I was reading last month um, where one of the characters kept referencing him as her kind of model of Western writing. Oh, uh, yes. Was that in um, Peace Like a River? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so I first Which, heard of him through there, and then I was looking up a title of Best Westerns. And, and, well, and I don't know so. if you realize, but um, uh, Leif Enger, who wrote Peace Like a River, mm -hmm. his second book is So Brave, Young, and Handsome, which is mm -hmm. sort of a Western-style novel. Hmm. So he definitely you, was influenced by Westerns himself, yeah. which must be why he had his character um, be influenced kind in that emulated, same way. Right. So that's fascinating. Right. Yeah. Huh. I didn't like it nearly um, as well as Peace Like a River, okay. by the way. But so I, I am, shouldn't jump out to buy it right away. I, I It's good, but I just, it didn't do the same thing that Peace Like a River mm. did. I am excited Ooh, because a friend of mine is reading his third, Virgil Wander, and mm -hmm. said that it is quite good so far. So I'm looking okay. forward to Virgil Wander. Okay, good. I should add that to the list too then. Maybe I'll count that as a Western first then if I get distracted. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I have so no idea with Virgil Wander what sort of style it is. Genre but, or, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that, well, Zane Grey sounds like fun. Yes, um, so we'll see. That's a very different genre for me, but... I got into it first. I heard people talking about it um, on Facebook, actually talking about the Western novel, and then started with very easy introduction, Louis L'Amour. Highly recommend Louis L'Amour just for a very lighthearted introduction to Westerns. Um, but anyway, so for, I would call this, I don't know, the fun nonfiction category, um, I'm planning to reread Supper of the Lamb, because mm -hmm. I've not fully read through it since college. I've read parts of it picking it up here and there, but I really want to give it a more thorough read through again. Um, so that, I think we've talked about it before, but Supper of the Lamb by Robert Ferrar Capon, I think is his full name, but often uh -huh. he just goes by Father Capon, or at least that's how people, I've heard people refer to him. So looking forward to that. Another one of those books that talks about cooking and gives recipes, but the most fun part is not even the recipes, it's just him talking about cooking. Yes. Um, in this case, uh, though, sort of, um, kind of the theology of it. Yeah, and a meditation. Um, yeah. is kind in of fact, the, what I think of a meditation. As I was um, actually thinking about, yeah, on 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 food 
I mean, oh, sorry, oh. I cut you off there and got. Oh, no, it's okay. <laughs> I was waiting crossed. for you. <laughs> no, I was just thinking through because I was going to mention that I'd recently read Hallowed Be This House, which mm-hmm. I think we talked about actually on a previous podcast. Yes. And um, that one is also more of a meditation mm-hmm. on the that which is hallowed or in the home and mm-hmm. um, how mundane things can be lifted up to. Yes the realm of the holy basically (laughs) and i think yeah i think supper of the lamb actually complements hallowed be this house very well because um i don't think we got a chance to talk about this last time on the podcast but the one kind of weakness that i know we've discussed together other times of hallowed be this house is he he seems to come a little bit from a mid-century philosophy of the kitchen and mm-hmm. how he approaches cooking and the center of the home uh, as related to cooking and that just the, the theology behind what food is and how it's prepared mm-hmm. and supper of the lamb i think gives a much more redemptive view of keep on um, rounds that the out the beauty really of well. that yeah right, the beauty yeah. of that ordinary process uh, the glory of it kind of um, so you and could I almost read the la- mm-hmm. Hallowed Be This House and then plug Supper of the Lamb in to yes. the kitchen chapter. Well, and then after that, because I was also thinking as I was drawing up this list, that Supper of the Lamb is the perfect preface to, again, I haven't finished this yet, so I can't say conclusively, but what I've enjoyed so far of the theology of food. Mm. Um, the theology of food can get a little deep in the theology end of it, and you can almost lose a little bit of the I don't want to say you can lose the joy of the food as you're reading it, but it just takes a more serious tone. And the Supper yeah. of the Lamb sets you up to go into it with that more jovial love of food and It's that line living. between persuasion by fact and persuasion by feel, if that makes mm-hmm. sense, or yes. persuasion by emotion. And yes. Supper of the Lamb has an unusually good balance of both, mm-hmm. I feel like. Yeah. And... Um, um, I think that Hallowed Be This House tends to veer mainly to the persuasion by emotion hmm. side of the mm-hmm. meditation because sometimes I felt myself wanting just a little bit more theological backstory, if that makes yeah. sense. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm reading it and going, okay, I'm with you here. Like I'm feeling what you're feeling, but I also want to know why. Um, and mm-hmm. that's what I felt there. And then I feel like Father Capon definitely balances those two the best mm-hmm. of those three titles. Uh, well, actually, I shouldn't say. I'm judging by what you're telling me of the, <laughs> the other book, The Theology of Food, because I have not read it yet. But, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's very like accurate. goes more on the theology side. Um, theology, yeah. Theology and just Supper of the Lamb is a very positive vision. I think a lot of Christian food writers or just modern food writers can be driven by an unhealthy kind of guilt over mistakes that people have made in their theology about mm, food. Interesting. And Supper yeah. of the Lamb, he'll talk about those mistakes, but there's much more of a there's sort redemption. of energetic vision for the future. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah that's which, I mean, put it. it's not that a theology of food doesn't have that, but there's just different emphasis. And joviality is the word that keeps coming to mind to describe it. There's just a joviality um, that Father Capon has that a lot of authors who may say wonderful things just don't have to the same degree as Capon. Yeah, it is amazing how style influences the experience yeah. of reading a book. And it, um, you know, if you if you can move a reader not just with the bare facts, 
mm-hmm. but with their heart. Um, I find it right. so much more persuasive. <laughs> yes, a beautiful truth, which yes. should always be the case in any way, but sometimes humans need a little help finding the beauty because we focus too much on trying to divorce the two. Right. Um, um, yeah, and then probably the other book, uh, trying to think of one to pick to make the last category would be mm, poetry and prose. This is another ambitious one. Poetry and prose in the 16th century, which sounds very dry until you find out who wrote it. And C.S. Lewis actually wrote it. This is one of Ah. his academic works. (laughs) And I've heard it very highly praised. In fact, um, someone was telling me that even among um, very liberal Oxford academics, they think, you know, everything Lewis said on Christianity was ridiculous, of course. But when it comes to his actual academic work on the literature of um, the early modern era, then he's still kind of almost a gold standard for them, even for these very, very secular and atheistic academics. Huh. So it's I'm really looking forward to That's discovering brilliant. that. But it is another big book. So it does feel like you can't go wrong with C.S. Lewis, though. He had a real yes. knack for making what he was writing about accessible. Yes, absolutely. Um, pleasant to read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what about you? Oh, let's books see. Books that you're looking forward to. Up and coming books. Well, I mentioned Virgil Wander. I'd like to go back and read Peace Like a River. It's been a while. Mm-hmm. And I do have for fun reads, I have the idea of uh, probably A. Woodhouse and uh, Dorothy Sayers, probably Ooh. Lord Peter Whimsey, um, mm, mystery, yes. Classic. Harriet Vane. That's such a great... Are you thinking uh, you'll start at the beginning of that series? Um, well, that's probably what, a good place to start ever. because it's been a while since I've read them. Um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. although Strong Poison is a favorite of mine. So that would be mm-hmm. where I'd be tempted to go. Um, and then John Buchan, I have recently revisited The 39 Steps, recently mm-hmm. enough. and I've, But I've only ever read the first and second of his, those four Richard Henney novels. So I'd be very tempted to go on and read the third and, and Mm -hmm. then the final. Um, Except that I also am half tempted to just start at the beginning again and introduce my boys to the 39 steps. I feel like they're just, Mm, just getting old enough. So I'll have to come to a decision on that, but that's on my list. Also, uh, you gifted me Hannah Coulter by Wendell Berry Mm, and mm -hmm. I've never read anything by him. So it's definitely on my uh, top of my list there for fiction reads upcoming. And Mm. then I do have a tendency to veer towards nonfiction titles also just mm-hmm. I enjoy um the practical whether it's about cooking or home decor mm-hmm. or or even just historical um mm-hmm. material so I have um in in that vein I have Boris Johnson's The Churchill Factor Ooh, which uh-huh. I've been wanting to read. Actually, what inspired that interest was listening to him debate with Mary Beard, which yes. we've also talked about. Um, and that debate just sparked my interest in who Boris Johnson was as a is as a person, um, Prime mm-hmm. Minister in in England, and and so I we actually own two of his books now, um, mm-hmm. one on Rome. Uh, which it was referenced in the debate. And yes. then this one, The Churchill Factor. Um, so I have that one on my stack of to reads. I started in and he's definitely, mm-hmm. um, he's got an everyman style that's very approachable, hmm. I have to say. So I, so far I'm really enjoying it. 
And then another one in the in the historical direction is um, this uh, book that I actually picked up when I was in the class on World War II mm-hmm. and then didn't get a chance to get around to read um, called Dead Wake, The Last Crossing of the Lusitania. Hmm. And oh. I don't know a whole lot about it, but it does say that it's a New York Times bestseller and it's on a topic yeah. that I'm interested in. So I decided to snag it and um, I'm very eager to dive in. I'm going to make myself finish reading Ghost Soldiers first, mm-hmm. <laughs> just by, oh. just for the sake of self-discipline. <laughs> <laughs> that um, sounds really interesting, though. I didn't know there were, I mean course it makes sense there would be books written on it but i hadn't known of any books on that particular it's topic. relatively new I, okay. I should look up the date but i oh you know i i did say that i don't know anything about it but i'm actually a friend did recommend and name drop it so i that mm-hmm. also gave me the courage to just jump mm-hmm. in and snag it it was written in 2015 okay. so it is quite new yeah so because the lusitania was was that the last triggering event that brought us into World War II? I was believe that it was maybe simultaneous with a couple okay. other things, but yes, that was... So yeah, the um, tragic sinking in 1917, right, of the HMS Lusitania with American passengers on board. Yes. Just, yeah. Yeah. Give the, so, um, give the context I'm, for it. Yeah, having, having read recently, um, well, by recently, I guess in the past... Oh, three years. I've read um, The Longest Day mm. and um, and then also um, working on Band of Brothers. That's another one in my list of ones that I need to finish. I'm about halfway mm. through that mm-hmm. one. Um, so having those under my belt, I definitely, and I, I'm not <laughs> kind of like you said, you were surprised to find yourself reading Westerns. I... Um, <laughs> Uh, reading about World War One and World War Two, that that was a sort of a weak point in my educational background. It wasn't an mm-hmm. era that I knew a lot about. Um, so this is honestly catching me by surprise that I am mm-hmm. reading um, <laughs> Ghost Soldiers, Dead Wake, Band of Brothers. And then um, because of that, when we studied, I think you you read this too, on or, on the origin of war, by yes. uh, Donald Kagan. When yes. I read that oh, in college in a history class, I did not have the context I needed to appreciate it. Mm-hmm. So that's actually on my list again for this year. I would like to reread it now that I've done a lot, a lot, quite more than I mm-hmm. had done of study of the world wars. Um, because I, I had had enough background in the historical wars that he references, the early ones, mm-hmm. um, the Peloponnesian War um, among them. Right. Um, I had studied those, <laughs> being a liberal arts student, <laughs> but I hadn't studied the ones more recent and more mm-hmm. near to us culturally. So, um, so yeah, that's really funny that you're rereading that one because um, I love that book, although like you, I was lacking in background. Um, when I read, although for me, I think I was probably more lacking in the classical background at that point. You, you had a more robust, uh, high school classical education than I did, I think. But I just persuaded Matthew to put that on his reading list because he's never read it before. Oh, really? Um, oh, so, it's such a good one. Yes. yes. So he'll be going through it soon, hopefully. And I'm looking forward to gleaning from him sort of we a second, probably second just pass convince, on the book. 
convince all the adult siblings to <laughs> to read <Yes>. it <laughs> simultaneously. We have a hypothetical stu- uh, sibling book club, which I will recommend yes. as a concept to <laughs> to anyone out there who would like to try it. But the idea is mm-hmm. to choose choose. Um, uh, I think we settled on choosing one more serious title mm-hmm. and one more just fun. Um, enjoyable title fiction nonfiction um and and then the idea was to read them and discuss um Mm -hmm. we do have very busy lives with a lot of small children so (laughs) (laughs) and time zones and everything Uh, yeah again time zone differences and i think we started it right around when george was born last year so there was that actually all of our families had a new baby within a couple months of doing that. So (laughs) the reality of it was something different than what we had imagined, but I I envision us getting back to it. (laughs) And it was still helpful because a lot of us read books that were not at all on our reading list. I, that was how I read the Pratchett book. We free men. Yeah. yeah. And then you read Jordan Peterson. And I I picked up Jordan Jordan Peterson and Pratchett. So yeah. Um, you and I both read just on on the um, World Wars front. We both read All Quiet on the Western Front, yes, right? Yes. That one is Ooh, another was... one like Ghost Ghost Soldiers, very mm-hmm. moving, and it will deeply affect your view of World War One. Yeah. Um, so that definitely goes on my list along and with just war. Yeah, war in yeah. general. I think like it really. It's so easy to have this very distant view of what war is, and that really was an eye-opener, I think. Yeah, if you've that not, was definitely you know, personally been on a war front. Also. Right. Yeah, so those are, but yeah, that definitely falls into the category of a topic that I didn't think that I was going to get so deeply into, but I'm actually yes. really enjoying hmm. um, um, learning more about that and having a, a more robust understanding of um, what was going on in the early 1900s, hmm. early mm-hmm. to mid-1900s in the United States and, and around the world. Mm-hmm. Um so that's and it's informative too of where the generation previous to us is coming from because they were yes. coming out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know my my I believe my grandmother was born in 34 and my mom was born mm-hmm. in 58. So between the two of them, they've spanned, they've been influenced by both of those wars, whether you know, right. I'm not sure how much they're conscious, conscious of it. But mm-hmm. both my grandparents' generation and my parents' generation were following on one of those major world events. Um, and it's mm-hmm. really fascinating to absorb a little more of what mm-hmm. that meant and what was going on. That culture, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and mm-hmm. how they quite possibly have influenced us today. So, mm-hmm. um, hey, you know, on the, on the fun reads topic, we haven't yet mentioned The Winter King – which is mm-hmm. written by um, actually a friend of mine from college. Um, and it's her first um, published young adult novel. And it is just a great fun read. You can probably get through it in a couple of hours. I think it took me about four hours. I didn't mm-hmm. want to put it down. Um, the light, we ended up turning out the lights, even though I really wanted to just stay up reading it one night. And so I was up again, I think by about five 30 the next morning, because I just needed to find out what happened. So it's definitely worth a read and it'll carry you along. So if your spring is rainy and muddy so far and not quite as warm as you'd like, as is the case here with our Northern springtime and you're stuck in quarantine, (laughs) Then um, the Winter King would be a really uh, cheery addition. Hmm. 
I can't believe I actually haven't gotten a copy of it yet. I am adding it to our Amazon cart right now. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds literally good. supposed to do that when we're podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> Multitasking, right? It stretches yeah. the brain. I actually don't yeah. believe in that, but we'll pretend for now. <laughs> Order placed. Well, there we if go. If it gets you a copy of this book, it's good enough for it's me. It's worth it. Yeah. And I, I said cheery, but actually it's, it's, a set in a very Norse setting. It's got mm. a, like a bit of a Viking northern Scandinavian flair uh, mm-hmm. to it. Um, so it's 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 a beautiful book, but it's a beautiful book in a somber way, if that makes mm. sense. Like a really, yeah. yeah. It's in a, it is definitely an enjoyable read, but in a mm. in a rich way that has um, it has some of that. Uh, C.S. Lewis mentions northernness. That it has some mm-hmm. of that feeling to it. Um, oh, I'm really looking so, forward to it then. Yes, yes, yes. That's definitely a recommendation um, on the list there. So I, I think you've got a couple more titles that you had had um, planned to mention. So I'll... Uh, let's see. Ooh, I can think you. of a fiction one. So this is... I read this last year. Um, well, you already mentioned... I had two on my fiction list from last year. You already mentioned Hannah Coulter, but I will second that recommendation. It's... Um, it's... It's interesting. I don't mean that in a negative way, but it's really... Okay. It's just so different from a lot of books that I've read. Unique. Um, yeah. Unique. Unique would maybe be a better way to describe it, because you often use interesting to mean something not very good. But no, right. it's... um. <laughs> It's it's a peaceful book in a unusual way. Um, it's a very welcome break from modern culture, if that makes sense. It has a little bit of a melancholic overtone, I would say, uh-huh. um, without being a sad book. There's there's this well, just the setup of the book is that it's told as a reflection of her life or over her life as an mm. older woman thinking back over the past and. Um, there's a lot of just really sweet relationships in it and some harder relationships too. Like he doesn't, it's not just a rosy book, but it's a very, very sweet and gentle book, I would say. Um, so highly recommend reading well, that. I and am then, very much looking forward to it. I have it right there yeah. on the stack staring at yes. me. It's, <laughs> I think that's the one I'm going to have to crack the cover on next. <laughs> mm. Well, you'll have to let me know what you think of it. Uh, that's That was my first Wendell Berry, so I don't have a frame of reference to hold it up to with other Wendell Berries, but it made me want to read more Wendell Berry for sure. Um, One of these days mm -hmm. we should maybe discuss um, modern, some modern novel titles. That would be a fun Mm, chat to have. (laughs) Yes, definitely. So the other fiction book that I uh, was introduced to by Matthew, who I think he said his sister, who's a history buff um, like me, well, except infinitely more so than me. She's a walking encyclopedia. Um, but she loves <laughs> this book apparently too. And it's called The Daughter of Time. Uh, uh-huh. It's a. It's by Josephine Tay, I believe is her name. I think she primarily wrote mystery novels. I would need to verify that. But this is kind of a mystery, but it's also real history at the same time. Um, so I don't want to give too much away, but basically it's re-examining the legacy of Richard III who's generally, you know, traditionally in pop culture history, very villainized, um, thanks in part to Shakespeare. And the setup is that you have this, uh, he's a police inspector, I think. 
mm. who's bedridden from an accident and wants something to occupy his mind, stumbles onto this just kind of hunch and interest in Richard III from, I think it's from a painting that he sees, and he's just looking at this painting. And so he starts digging in from the bed so he can't get out of the hospital. He has an assistant who goes to libraries and researches stuff for him and presents this entire theory about Richard III that I think does, um, i trying to remember if it's actually, I think it's one of the current accepted historic, theories. Like, accepted on, theories, yeah. right. Um, I don't, I'm trying to remember. I think she painted it a little bit more black and white than it is as far as what the accepted theory was at the time. Because I think among historians, it's always been debated more, whereas she made right. it a little bit more, you know, everyone hates him. And here's this this new theory. Right, um, right. So I think there always ha- always have been two, two schools of thought. But in popular thought, he is generally considered the great villain. And so it's this fascinating, um, basically historical mystery unraveling, you know, kind of this this great political scheme in in the well that's yeah, I was about so to get the century and then I forgot what century it's set in. <laughs> uh, see this is where if Phoebe Matthew's sister were here she would know the date right off the top of her head. But uh-huh. Richard the Third, whenever he lived <laughs> that um, time. War of the Roses, yes. I I should know the dates for the War of the Roses. <laughs> <laughs> I don't either, so I'm, I'm sorry I'm leaving you hanging here. <laughs> but it Should sounds like, can you repeat the title again? Uh, the Daughter of Time. The Daughter of Time. Okay, that sounds fantastic. Um, I'm going to swing us back from fiction again to more pragmatic titles for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, I have on my list to read, recommended by... Um, uh, by Heidi, actually. So mm-hmm. your sister, your sister-in-law, and uh, my best friend, <laughs> um, Atomic Habits, mm, which yes. she said is a very helpful, pragmatic book on forming, basically on habit forming. Mm-hmm. And I think the concept is that you can um, take a habit, a basic habit, a core habit, and use that habit to sort of help discipline your life as a whole. Hmm. Um, so anyway, I, I, I'm actually half tempted to read that one first of all, <laughs> because maybe I can make a habit out of reading more pages per day, and then I'll get through more of my books. There we go. Read <laughs> See, the book on habits and make a habit about of these things. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I have that one um, on my list as far as pragmatic titles. Um, I also have... Um, Parenting by Paul Tripp, which is one that I'd been mm. wanting to read for a while. Um, and then um, The Vanishing American Adult by Ben Sass, mm. which I mm. have started. Um, the subtitle is uh, Our Coming of Age Crisis and How to Rebuild a Culture of Self-Reliance. And um, yeah, it's a fascinating look at how our generation grew up and goals for the next generation and... Um, you know, being a mom, particularly a mom of, of four boys, where you mm, you mm-hmm. do end up thinking a lot about self-reliance and independence mm. and being competent. I, I just mm-hmm. had a discussion, sort of a pep talk with with my kids yesterday morning about some of the purposes for education. Like we really mm. are aiming for certain things. And though it isn't the primary purpose of education, being competent at certain things 
in life is one of the things we're working towards. <laughs> and we had a discussion about that. But the idea, the competence meaning that you are reliable to do a thing yes. and you're, um, you're self-reliant to do a hmm. thing and independent. Um, hmm. Which I think, you know, especially for, for men who are going to be heads of households and Lord willing mm-hmm. leaders, they're going to need that. Um, they're going to need that ability. So mm-hmm. I'm fascinated to read it. I, I admit that I started the book and immediately just started feeling really uh, um, lacking <laughs> as I was going through. I was going, oh boy, uh, this is going to be one of those convicting books, isn't it? Where I'm going to feel <laughs> like I'm going to need to restructure, uh, restructure everything. Anyway, but Sounds it was like it's I good. I think then. it's. Yeah, I think it's thought provoking mm-hmm. in that way. Yeah. I don't think that that's what he was aiming for. That was how I was taking it. But <laughs> but it was definitely thought provoking. Um, hmm. So that's that's Ben Sass's the vanishing American adult that I have on hmm. my more pragmatic um, nonfiction stack. Um, and yeah, I have another, I, I have a couple titles, um, uh, about home management, which I think actually someone had recommended to you. You had been, um, interviewing mm-hmm. your friends, I think on a Facebook post about home management books. Mm-hmm. And that's where we found the nesting place. Yes. And that's how I found cozy minimalist home. But another two titles that were name dropped in that conversation were home management, plain and simple. Hmm. And the perfectly imperfect home. And I just, Mm. I purchased them last year and just put them on the stack. And so that's, um, I would say those those are two other titles that I'm eager to delve into. I actually don't know from a glance yet whether they're going to be more reference type Mm. books or if they're going to be a straight read like The Nesting Place. Huh. Interesting. I need to add those to my list too. Well, we may just need to write up some episode notes here and get all these titles with the authors and (laughs) links to Amazon if we're really being Mm -hmm. proactive so that people can (laughs) go and find them. Although nowadays you might order it and not see it for three weeks. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Yes. There is. It just has showed me how spoiled I am because I expect my Amazon books to arrive in two days. (laughs) So if you're already working with a delay from Amazon, um, I recently found out about a website called bookshop.org that um, I I need to look into the details more. I have been supporting it so far just more based on the recommendation of friends, but mm-hmm. it's supposed to um, support local independent bookstores uh, better than Amazon does. So since we're already working with shopping delays from Amazon, because I don't think they have two-day shopping, um, then it's definitely worth looking into if you can wait, you know three, four days instead of one day shipping or whatever. Right. Did you say it's bookshop. Bookshop.org. Yes. Okay. It's not a Christian website or anything. It's just a variety of all kinds, you know, basically well, I kind think of similar like selection ABE to books Amazon. Or, similar or, to or ABE. A Libra. Yeah. 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 Except they're yeah. not used as much, I don't think. It's just, um, I, I need to look more into how it works, but it's sort of taking the middleman really out of the... I think so. Mm-hmm. Out of the buying process, probably, yeah. where you're not buying it through Amazon's warehouse. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think that we will have to say goodbye until next time here. 
Um, when we get to going on books. <laughs> I, I know. We will just have to make this a once a year recurring conversation, I uh, think, be because really fun, yes. <laughs> there's just so many good books out there. Um, we'd, of course, love to hear um, other titles that we should mm-hmm. add to our list. So tell yes, us please. which and tell us why. All right. Till the next time. Till next time.